0: Do you need a CPA that you can trust with all your taxes and financial needs? Look no further than Joanne Flash-Fleming at Fleming & Associates CPA. For more info, go to FlashFleming.com or email Joanne directly at J-O-A-N-N-F-L-E-M-I-N-G at FlashFleming.com.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network,
2: So slow Hey, hey guys, it's Heritage Radio Network's Eat Your Words and I'm your host, Kathy Irway. It is another sunny uh, 65 or so degree uh, day here in Brooklyn in February. And uh, I'm in great spirits today. I don't know about you guys. It could be the early spring that we're having. Um, But it is also the 299th episode of this podcast. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really grateful that... uh, (laughs) Yay, me! No. Yay, guests! I'm really grateful to get such amazing food writers on the show uh, next week for the 300th episode. It's it's going to be a, a fun surprise. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but today, I'm really excited to have an amazing writer. She's been a a cookbook author, but she's also been a New York Times correspondent and a passionate home chef And uh, she's also a novelist, multi-talented woman um, Her name is Jennifer Steinhauer from the New York Times How are you, Jennifer?
3: Hey, it's, uh, it's about same degrees in Washington this morning I'm ah. sitting on my back porch as <laughs> we talk in the tank top So it's <laughs>
2: kind of crazy It's Yeah, I mean, I'm not complaining just yet But we'll see how we feel when it's uh, midsummer, perhaps yeah. Um, so, Jennifer, I'm um, really glad you could join us. Um, we had a great lineup today. We, um, we're we talking about A Meatloaf in Every Oven, which you co-wrote with Frank Bruni, your colleague at the New York Times. And it is about you and Frank's uh, conversations about meatloaf making over the years uh, working together. And it's a charming cookbook. It's really interesting and really thoughtful. And it's all about meatloaf. Uh, <laughs> I love it by the way that
3: does sound oxymoronic but it's not it's not Uh, (laughs) yeah we Frank and I just um, have always had a shared a love of meatloaf Um, me as a home cook and cooking for kids and Mm -hmm. him as someone Frank as someone who can't he's not that terribly skilled in the kitchen because he's spent a lot of his career as a professional eater yeah, um, and going a out to restaurants, food former restaurant critic, as you know, and mm-hmm. former Rome bureau chief where he ate out a lot, obviously, enjoying uh, on the road all the foods of Italy and beyond. And, but he can make meatloaf.
2: Yeah. And it sounds like a passion project of both of you. And just as a note, uh, Frank is, uh, was going to join us, but he's on a plane right now. Um, again, traveling, you know, for work. So, um, it's so great that you could join us as in, you know, in addition. But, um, so first things first, Jennifer, you've been at the times for a while. Um, and I've heard things about how it's failing. (laughs) Perhaps, uh, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, how's it actually doing? Like, let's, let's talk about that because there's a whole like sort of renewed sense of mission, it seems, uh, for journalists and, uh, um, yeah, I mean, what is your thoughts on that? Do you have uh,
3: an inside? Well, we're, fail- we're failing with thousands and thousands of more digital right. print subscribers um, since President Trump took office. So it's an interesting way to fail with more fans and more, more people paying to uh, read the New York Times and other newspapers. I might add. Um, so I think journalism is ex- definitely um, has been a maligned profession and also a financially embattled profession. But right now, it's. Um, something that people are coming to uh, really appreciate as they look to newspapers uh, in particular but all forms of media to inform them about the new administration and uh, I would say that while journalism remains a difficult business model different difficult profession, we're pretty far from failing uh, based on uh, readers alone mm. yeah and very engaged readers I might add very engaged and also
2: very uh, passionate uh reporters and correspondents, it sounds like, uh, do you guys feel like a little bit like heroes these days? I mean, it's a very, as you said, it's a maligned, you know, uh, sort of uh, profession. I saw in Forbes, it was like the number one worst job to have in terms of pay and um, security, job security. Um,
3: Uh, That's probably true relative to other professions. Um, I don't think journalists feel like heroes, and if they do, they should think about that, because Really, there's nothing that, about our job that's changed. It's just the environment that's changed. And maybe the subject um, obviously in the White House is very different from other presidents, uh, other elected officials that we've covered. but i don't I don't think that it's really um, about our egos or our heroism. I think just people putting their heads down and trying to get to the bottom of things. I mean, yeah. the thing is you in this case, you have a president um, and people around him who have engaged frequently in a disinformation campaign to to talk about events that never happened, to um, go well beyond spin, which is a natural bipartisan um, uh, product of any administration, federal or otherwise, uh, and to to be expected, and it's Mm -hmm. for journalists to check that. But this is something beyond that. This is actual, just, I mean, frankly, lies. And so journalism has has had an important role in in pushing back on those lives and trying to disseminate the truth whenever possible.
2: So it sounds like, you know, you guys are doing what you do, what that is, what you've always been doing. But it has a renewed or a a kind of a more urgent um, uh, need right now, (laughs) given the climate. Um, but we,
3: you uh, know, I think some people are experiencing it that way, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, we just want to know, we just want to make sure you guys are okay. <laughs> That's basically all. Yeah, I think we're
3: okay. <laughs> okay. I think we're fine. I mean, we're not... Thank you. Know, you. It's a one-way war here. We're not... A, no journalists are at war with the Trump administration. He uh, has called us um, the enemy of the American people. I don't think many people actually believe that, to be honest. Um, and he seems to be attacking journalism and um, the media a lot and uh, with a broad brush. But I don't think journalists look at, look at uh, the Trump administration as the enemy. They look at them as the subject, um, and it's one of many subjects, yeah. and this is the subject that they, everyone's turning a lot of attention to at present.
2: Right, right. Well, you know, it's, it's great that um, it's great the New York Times is— um, doing so well in terms of the digital subscribers that alone is a you know that's a whole other story you know how do we monetize the news these days but um you know it's great to hear that so many people are getting behind you guys so congrats to that um let's uh, move on so you guys have been talking you and frank have been talking about meatloaf for several years throughout uh, working together at the Times. Um, and these would, it sounds like these were sort of, you know, co- water cooler conversations. You know, oh, I did this one day. And did you try mixing the
3: breadcrumbs this way or so forth? Um, is that how it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, we don't have a water cooler, though, because, you know, Frank and I have not worked in the same city for many years now. We did meet at the New York Times in New York, and we are both there. Um, and then Frank subsequently went, um, went on to Rome, Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Then he came back, and he was a restaurant critic, and that was when our friendship kind of uh, really solidified, because I was a very happy uh, diner at a his table. <laughs> uh-huh. And so he <laughs> used to count on me even at the last minute to come fill a table, and we became right. fast friends. And then I moved to Los Angeles,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and Frank would frequently come out to dine there, and I was his dining partner and buddy there, and then from there I went to Washington. So a lot of our relationship has really been on the phone mm-hmm. okay. over the past few years, yeah. and by email, obviously, and text, and so forth. But so, our water cooler is our telephone uh, and our dishwasher, because right. we talk a lot while we each unload our respective dishwashers on Saturday mornings,
0: mm-hmm. and we
3: frequently talk about meatloaf.
2: Mm-hmm. And you guys haven't, like, it sounds like you've dined out a lot, um, you know, meatloaf isn't really something you see in restaurants too often. Uh... D-
3: yeah. We've been, we have been discussing it a lot um, since this book came out. It was very interesting. The Nomad Bar, I don't know if you know that, in New York. Um, uh. Has been featuring our meatloafs and our sides from the book this month, which is really fun. Oh, that's to have, really fun. Both to have, them, to have them doing that, but just broadly to give attention to meatloaf, which you're right, is basically like a diner meal or an afterthought. Um, when meatloaf does seem to have a role to play both in um, the uh, panorama of comfort food, we've kind of been plowing through this last decade and people seem to be returning to it in recent months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, Frank, um, we, 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 Frank and I both, but especially Frank, for obvious reasons, were able to turn to chefs that we have known over the years to ask them for meatloaf recipes. And what was amazing was so many of them had them in their repertoire or were willing to develop them. They liked the idea of playing with it too, which tells me that chefs can enjoy actually having yeah. meatloaf as an offering um, on a restaurant menu.
2: Yeah, it sounds like this meatloaf manifesto is proving that it's, it, you know, its appeal. Um, across the board, you know, and across the globe, too. Um, I love that you write sort of um, when you're looking through the history of meatloaf, um, you write that the meatloaf was a home for not just scraps, but for spices that connected it to the cook's epicurean ancestry. One old American recipe combined veal, ham, and breadcrumbs with grated nutmeg, mace, and uh, cayenne and lemon rind for a decidedly French flavor profile. Um, and you have a whole section here about meatloaf around the world, um, you know, from Alex Gornishelli's mom's meatloaf to uh, a Korean styled meatloaf to um, a French styled, a Japanese styled meatloaf with miso and mirin. I mean, so you really um, are taking this as a sort of blank slate to, and, and it sounds like that is, um, that has always been the case, looking at the history of. Uh, all the different var- variations. I mean, meatloaf is like anything you want to make it, and it's
3: true. It was a co- the international component was a little bit of a combination of things. Um, some cultures we learned in our exhaustive research of meatloaf and all things meatloaf-like have their um, their own um, sort of version of it, like uh-huh. kebe, which is um, in various Middle Eastern countries. Serve that. Uh-huh. Um, and then um, we found this uh, kind of pr- prune loaf that was interesting from a very specific prune. region of France. And then uh-huh. bobatai from South Africa, which is actually done in a casserole dish. But it really is very much like a meatloaf with a custard on top, which was really interesting to us. And from there, we also realized, as you pointed out, that meatloaf can be a palate for other uh, flavors and spices. So you, you mentioned that one was mirin. I mean, I worked on that for a while trying to emulate um, dishes that had in Japanese restaurant. Of course, Japanese culture does not have a meatloaf that we ever found. (laughs) We interpreted um, with these Japanese uh, flavor profile to make a meatloaf, and that was also true with what I call the Jewish Christmas loaf, Mm. which is using Chinese spices, like five-spice powder and other flavors. Do you have a meatloaf, it's a, it's a beef meatloaf, but it, mm-hmm. then it has be, it invokes Chinese food.
2: Because that is what the Jewish eat on China, on Christmas in New York City. Correct. Yeah.
3: Yes, and elsewhere. Los Angeles, too. A little bit D.C., everywhere. Okay. It's it's
2: it's become its own thing, its own tradition here, and uniquely American. Does, does.
3: Chinese food and movies on Christmas for Jews, definitely, I think that's almost what you would call an American tradition at this point. Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. And you don't... So meatloaf is one of those iconic dishes, you guys point out, uh, along with hamburger, which is kind of similar, or at least shares the same sort of raw ingredient. Um, It's something that we think of as iconically American. Obviously, you know, what is iconically American anyway? You guys trace the roots of it back to uh, a sort of scrapple created by uh, German, you know, immigrants to America, you know, pretty early on. And uh, it was actually a br- more of a breakfast dish. But, um, you know, I-, I guess it's hard to describe what is American food now. If we're talking about something that is so malleable, it really it really kind of brings home the thought that, you know, nothing is set in stone and nothing is absolutely American or absolutely one way or another. I don't know.
3: That's, been- that's absolutely true. I mean, I tend to think this is a very narrow way of looking at it. I want to just say that caveat right up front. Mm-hmm. But I, I, the, the cookbook I did before this was on making homemade snack foods. And I was looking at, you know, kind of like the history of uh, Hostess and Little Debbie and all these different um, kinds of junk food, if you will, or, or snack cakes um, and creating them in your home kitchen. And I learned a lot about them. And a lot of them, like meatloaf, um, too, are very connected to the war effort. Um, yeah. the, and interestingly, with the snack cakes, a lot of those things were sent to. Um, Soldiers, you know, to sustain them, Um, and uh, meatloaf also in the you know during World War II, post World War II time, you had this tradition, um, two traditions in the American kitchen. One is you know trying to find ease, right, Um, and the other was stretching things, stretching your protein, stretching your meals. And meatloaf really is a real a real protein stretcher. You're putting binders in it, you're putting other things in there. You're trying to take your meat. And get it, you know, across the line for a family dinner for you know four people, five people, six people, and that's, a, to me, is an element. Um, it's not the only one by any means, but that's an element of a traditional American food is how it relates to um, war periods, um, and periods of conservation, um, and periods of um, sort of trying to make the most of what you have in your fridge if, in, in your home, if you will.
2: Right, right, and also maybe innovation. Yeah, it sounds like this. Um this recipe or this this dish, meatloaf, um, became a lot more popular after um, industrialized processes of grinding meat up became more widespread, and it was more um, easy to find. And, the, and and you know, by the fifties, it was everywhere. But uh, you yeah, know, that's different very true. Steps. And packaging
3: too. Those two packaging, as you point out. Um, wisely, the um, moving into uh, industry in terms of, of meat grinding and things like tools, but mm-hmm. also ways to package things and to preserve things for mm-hmm. longer. Those right, are both key right. elements, I think, to these to these inventions.
2: Hmm. There's so much to talk about in uh, meatloaf, but let's uh, cut to a quick little commercial interlude and we'll be right back. Chatting more with Jennifer.
0: Are you filing your own taxes and driving yourself crazy? Do you think a professional can do a better job of finding legal deductions? Do you own a business and need help with the accounting and taxes? Are you a not-for-profit business that needs financial guidance? Are you just plain tired of your boring accountant and looking for some fresh eyes? Try Fleming & Associates CPA. At Fleming & Associates, Joanne Flash Fleming can quantify anything in a flash. She'll do your taxes, assess your worth, and is even a forensic accountant, an investigator of white-collar crime. Joanne Fleming once said,
1: It was terribly hard for me to read Moby Dick, but put a financial statement or a tax return in front of me, it's like a novel.
0: Imagine that. Has the political and financial news got you feeling down? Joanne Fleming was the accountant for the Occupy Wall Street movement back in 2010. Who better to trust with your financial secrets? For more info, go to FlashFleming.com or email Joanne directly. J O A N N F L E M I N G at FlashFleming.com.
2: Hey, hey, we're chatting with Jennifer Steinhauer. She is the author of a best selling cookbook, Treat Yourself, as well as the co author of the new cookbook, A Meatloaf in Every Oven. And she's also a veteran, uh, correspondent for the failing New York times. So, um, we're talking all about meatloaf. Uh, this is so much fun. You guys, it sounds like you guys kind of like have some strong opinions about what a meatloaf is and isn't. So, you know, you're just talking about stretching, uh, stretching meat, um, and, uh, you know, the virtues of reusing up scraps. And I love, Jennifer, that you're, you know, you call yourself a passionate home chef. So you're not a trained chef. But this is, um, this is something that you make. You actually make this um, often for yourself and your family. Is that right?
3: I do. I mean, chef would be, I was gonna say, cook, home cook. <laughs> yeah. I would say, and out of necessity, right? Home you know, chef, home cook. Yeah, I see what you mean. With your kids, you can't afford to go out to eat all the time. Right. Um, and... So I've just tried to – I've tried over the years to make dinner more interesting through different picky phases and different uh, food trends, different times know, when the economy going up and down, paychecks going up and down. Um, Meatloaf kind of endures all of that. You can Mm. make meatloaf high, you can make meatloaf low. Um, We do have some kind of ideas about how to improve upon what's sort of the traditional meatloaf. Okay. Um, Principally, the main thing that Frank and I kind of insist upon that – breaks from tradition is that we really want cooks to saute their veggies, particularly their onions, their aromatics, and their and their and their uh-huh. garlic. Um, you know, traditional meatloaf has this chopped raw onion yeah. which I think is part of why meatloaf gets a bad rap, you know, some people just really <laughs> don't like the texture of that and it's kinda of mouthful of, goo. you know, cooked or... in there. Yeah, it's like weird chunks. So I think really both of us just what from almost almost every single loaf in the book that has an onion which is most of them we always start in the pan you know it's a little extra step Mm -hmm. but get those those those, um onions sauteed when the other vegetables get those sauteed it really lifts the flavor the texture and the sort of the elegance of your loaf
2: hmm elegance yes okay all right so what about ketchup how do you feel about smearing ketchup all over the top and baking it like that
3: the so ketchup obviously doesn't belong in all of our loaves. I mean, first of all, you know, with, with nearly 50 loaves in here and um, from around the world with Japanese flavors, uh, Chinese flavors, <laughs> some, some of these loaves aren't meat at all. You know, there, we have a couple tuna loaves in there. Um, yeah, uh, that's really and other, exciting. And vegetarian loaves. Yeah, that's You, you know, the mm-hmm. ketchup doesn't belong in those at all. Ketchup does not belong on your ahi tuna loaf. Let's mm-hmm. just get that right out mm-hmm. there. But you know what? Ketchup, but ketchup can lift... I still love a good ketchup glaze, you do. Okay. especially like a ketchup, brown sugar, traditional right, um, right. type of glaze. I think it's delicious. I'm, one of my um, meatloafs that my kids ask for a lot is really just a meatball um, uh-huh. that I make that I one day put into a loaf because I had too much of meatball batter left. It's got um, ricotta cheese, Parmesan cheese, cheese. Um, there's it's an efficiency like a to a meatloaf, um, I you love, know. I love to put a little ketchup on that. It uh-huh. really gives it a little zing, and it makes it transforms it from a meatball to a meatloaf. I think. Yeah.
2: Well, I love it how you know quick and easy it sounds, rather than forming all these balls and then browning them all around, and then you know you just stick it in the oven, make a loaf.
3: Yeah. Right. Slice I it know, up. it's just, it's just exciting. It's, you're right, and, me, and the ball can be. Ch- I'll put a little side note though. Lately, I've been kind of just frying my meatballs up a little bit and finishing them in the sauce. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I must just say, I think that is a much easier way to make a meatball. I, I truly digress so here, do the meatball is the, the, the mini meatloaf, if you will.
2: I'm all for this. So you don't cook it all the way through. You just get a nice little crust and then let it soak up the sauce? Does it kind of get more plump when it cooks? It in? does. Yeah.
3: yeah, it does. And sometimes, if, you know, if you don't have a good tight ball, they'll break a little in the sauce. But... Mm-hmm. It's just that I just i keep it i keep it um simmering in there for a, while, a good while you know to make sure it's cooked all the way through
2: mm-hmm.
3: but that's a that's a method that um I've really caught into in recent years um Cool. But Frank likes to say that the, the, as a, what does he say? As a sapling is a tree, so is the meatballs, the meatloaf. <laughs> so a meatloaf is just a grown up meatball. Just yeah. put, just going to put that out there for you. Got
2: it. So another um, tip that you guys have is, is, uh, it goes hand in hand for meatballs, I think, too. At least that's what I do with my meatballs. It's, uh, you take a, rather than dry breadcrumbs that you mix into your meat mixture, it's, uh, taking some wet, Uh, bread soak it in milk or something and then you kind of mush it all around and that that'll give it a more um fluffy texture is that is that what happens for is that what you found with meatloaf
3: yeah, so that method isn't best. It doesn't work for every loaf, you know. Mm-hmm. Some of our loaves and some of it, it's not. Um, you know, but you're bringing this whole interesting. Uh, you're opening this whole binder door, if you will. Binder door. There are okay. There so many doors. <laughs> we're, we're, we're through the binder door now. Uh-huh. We're we're in there. We see bread. We see dry bread. We see milk soaked bread. Um, Egg. We see saltines. We see corn flakes, which is a very specific flavor. One one loaf that we developed. I'm just in love with this loaf. It, I don't know if you've ever been to Charlie Bird. Uh, um, no. restaurant in lower Manhattan. They have a farro salad that I just dream about at night. Uh-huh. And I want to try to get that. Into I'm looking at loaf. that
2: right now. Okay.
3: Charlie oh, Bird turkey so, loaf oh, with farro. Yes. Okay. Um, and so the binder there is cooked farro. Yep. And it works fantastically. That will, it takes a little time, a bit longer because you know farro takes a little bit of time to cook, you know, so it's just a little more effort there. But a you cook it first. But, you know, rice, we have rice as a binder um, and we have a, we have a, um, a frito pie loaf, uh-huh. corn chips are the binder. So you got, you have a lot you can work with here.
2: This is fun. This is fun. So this is the binder. Um you got a whole world of binders. Um, let's talk about... Um, I mean, every universe. I would say universe of binders. Okay. It's like beyond. It's okay, like we're so beyond.
3: Satellites, everything.
2: <laughs> I'd like to know the outer space binders, um, and maybe in the sequel. <laughs> yeah, this. that's exactly right. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so you also have a whole section of Meatless Meatloaf which sounds Mm -hmm. wrong in every way, but, uh, you know, what else are you going to call it? Um, It's really exciting. Um, How did you guys, who came up with the idea for doing that, first of all? Um, Was this just like a sort of creative challenge? Did you just feel like doing more Meatless Mondays?
3: Uh, Why would anyone it was do a meatloaf, meatless meatloaf? It was, a, it was meatloaf. kind of a practical-slash-inclusive um, effort, if you will. Okay, yeah. Because we, we knew we had to get, you know, between 40 and 50 loaves, and we were going to be doing that. And we thought, well, what about um, for the person who uh, is a vegetarian and actually wants a loaf option? Um, and, you know, even for us, for nights, we don't want to eat meat. What can we do with a loaf? Can you make – it was this like a creative challenge, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um and we did have two chefs weigh in on this, um, on the on the total vegetarian ones. Daniel Patterson, who is a chef out in San Francisco, who I met when I lived in California. And he has um, not a totally vegetarian by any means, but a veg- vegetable-centric um, restaurant there. Okay. Um, really sophisticated, um, elegant, beautiful things that he does with vegetables. And his zucchini loaf is really delicious. Um, I have to say it's a loaf. I, I, we, I like meatloaf, and Frank loves meatloaf because... You can kind of mess with it, you yeah. know. You don't have to be exact. That one, you have to grate that zucchini. I tried to just ribbon it, all I right. think, the first time around, and no. the structure was all messed up, and I had to go back to my basics. Similar interestingly, um, Michael Schwartz's kasha loaf with the caramelized um, onion gravy. That looks good. Definitely one of the more challenging ones to do and to create, and I really give um, the chef a lot of credit. He worked hard to work with us on this loaf just to get the structure right so that it would
1: wow. hold
3: together. Um so that's an that's an intense one, and then you and then we, you also have uh, an opportunity to work with beans and lentils and things mm-hmm. like that. I didn't want like I didn't want that chapter, you know, honestly. And we have these beautiful other we have some other interesting like fun things with fish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't m- want them to be I didn't want them to be. You know how like you go to a restaurant and then with a vegetarian friend and there's one vegetarian yeah, thing and on there grilled vegetables and you're like you want to throw up, you know? Like a I didn't want sad that to piece be of portobello. Our, our, yeah. Uh, yes, I didn't want those loaves to be that. I wanted those mm-hmm. to be. Something that was cool. that you could feel just as happy to feed your guests as you know some of the more um, indulgent uh, meat based loves in the book. I
2: love it. I love it. I love that there's an illustration here of us of a I guess a tuna fish swimming through a piece of bread for that uh, recipe with tuna. Um.
3: <laughs> yes, so Marilyn um, Polk Marilyn, she's such a, a, she's an illustrator. Do You know, I I met her on Twitter. Oh, really? Post <laughs> her food That's illustrations. So on Twitter, you know, just kind of randomly, like her, you know, little, little, and, and they were so beautiful, and um, I said, well, gosh, we should see if um, you could be the illustrator for this cookbook, and I was so happy um, that Grand Central caught into her, because she has such a creative way of illustrating, um, um, in, a, in a very beautiful way, in mm-hmm. a very fun way, uh, the kind of the joy of meatloaf, if you will.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um you guys clearly have a lot of fun with this and your work comes into the last chapter here where you have a meatloaf dedicated uh, to Paul Ryan. Um oh dear speaker meatloaf uh, speaker Paul yeah. Ryan's loaf and uh it's dedicated to Paul Ryan because uh he's such an avid deer hunter which I didn't. I wasn't even sure about
3: that. It's his recipe, actually. Oh, my goodness. Um, I can tell you how this came together. This is a funny chapter. So this is the political postscripts chapter.
2: Yeah. There's one Um, for Chuck Schumer. What's that? There's there's one for Chuck Schumer. I'm just giving folks a Mm -hmm. glimpse, a taste, if you will. And uh, Nancy Pelosi and so forth. The political meatloaves.
3: They are. And these are all authentic um, family recipes. Uh, The Genesis is kind of funny. So I cover Congress for The New York Times. That's my day job. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. And I frequently will visit with Senator Susan Collins, a Republican from Maine, about cooking because she loves to cook. And she really likes to talk about cooking. In fact, she's the sponsor of this Thursday group where Republican senators come um, to have a lunch meeting on Thursday, and they each take turns representing their state the food. And it's really fun, and I'm always talking to her about whose turn it is to cook that week or to you know, to serve and not really cook. But she's a big avid home cook. So I was telling her about this meatloaf book at its inception and she said oh you really should include my mother's meatloaf it's really the best meatloaf in the world and it's got this um horseradish and it's kind of it's a pretty much a classic meatloaf
1: mm-hmm. but it's,
3: it's got this little twist and i said oh that would be great if you and she and she no um just as she promised she hand wrote it out and, and got me a jpeg of it through, <laughs> and i said okay this is great um then fast forward about a month when Paul Murray became Speaker, I went to his office to interview him, and he said, I heard from my staff that you're writing a meatloaf cookbook. Is that really true? Because it's kind of a weird side job, you know, for yeah. a political reporter. Sure, sure. I said, yes, Mr. Speaker, that's true. And he said, well, you really should include my meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> He's very job. proud that of it. Meatloaf. Yeah. And I, I grind my own meat when I kill my deer. and. Wow. You know, it's not a fancy loaf at all. It's got lifted onion soup, as, as, you know, many of the traditional meatloafs do. But, sure, again, sure enough, I work with his staff. They sent me kind of the outlines and we went through it, um, he you know, because kind of more in his head, you know. Yeah, yeah, and he approved. And then I reached out to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer so we could fill out a bipartisan chapter. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't know what I was going to find. And, sure enough, bizarre. Yeah. they had they each had family meatloafs. They're all different. You Everybody loves You know, they are meatloaf. all very representative of them.
2: you got Senator Susan Collins in there omnibus loaf and uh, I, I love that um, you have side notes about each of them like uh, Paul Ryan cooks and his wife does the dishes that's um, right
3: he told me that was kind of like part of their marriage contract <laughs> that was pretty funny
2: <laughs> I might also add that uh, Paul Ryan's uh, recipe includes one envelope of Lipton recipe secrets onion soup mix so maybe that's a secret uh, which you have you have shared with the world uh, yeah. <laughs> this is so much fun, Jennifer. Um, I, I'm Thank just, you. you know, meatloaf is and should be fun. And it's not mm-hmm. something that you see too often, although you did mo- uh, point out, you know, some exceptions where people are um, seeing meatloaf in restaurants, but it's not something you see too often, you know, exalted to, you know, the the, the upper echelons of fine dining. And, um, I, and I think that's, you know, I think that's what is something you can embrace when you're making it at home, is that you know everyone can have their own type of fun with it, um, whether you a speaker again, of the house you, you, or you know, Absolutely. you can go
3: with a lifted soup mix and a ketchup on top, and that's yeah. a fun meatloaf. Or you can go, uh, like if you want to look at one of the, um, the, you know, the more complicated loaves in the book, whether it's a chef's recipe, like Amaro Bertelli, where you're, you know, a rolled meatloaf, or, again, uh-huh. a the kasha loaf, which is very time-consuming. Um, and very um, advanced, so you you can offer a lot of different things to different people, but ultimately, you know, I think what you're getting at, too, is this still kind of remains this maligned American tradition. You know, Frank fell in love with this loaf that he developed, actually. It's called Cheesy Chorizo. Uh-huh. And he serves it at dinner parties all the time now, and he always tells this funny story about how when he pulls it out of the oven, his guests kind of, their face kind of falls. <laughs> you're serving us meatloaf? And then they eat it, and they're so excited. You know, it's delicious, yeah. actually. I mean, who doesn't, you know, people who eat chorizo, they'll Yeah. delicious. Um, and they're happy and thrilled that he served it, and it's just getting past the visual of, oh, my gosh, you're serving me meatloaf, right? It's actually mm-hmm. delicious.
2: And anyone can have their own twist on it and uh, put their own, uh, you know, national uh, cuisine signature on it, which is which is a lot of fun. As for you know, celebrating so many different ethnic cuisines, um, at least I am lately in response to uh, various things <laughs> great, going great. on in the world. Um, you know, it's it's this this really um, I think uh, uh, will hit home for many people for the nostalgia, but will also be exciting. For, for for creativity's sake. Um, I hope so. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for joining us again, Jennifer. Um, it was great oh, to it was have you pleasure. on. my pleasure.
3: It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for your interest in meatloaf. Absolutely. Maybe they'll heal us all.
2: Yes. Let's hope it gets a little colder so we can have more, um, you know, kind of cold meatloaf-appropriate nights um, yes, that'd this be winter. Wonderful. All right. Well, thanks again, and thanks, everyone, at Heritage Radio. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. <laughs>
1: I like the way you do. Whoa, the way you took it so slow. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org.